Hi, and welcome to the Willowridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's where we're going to be as we start off in our new series. I hope you all got to go outside or chose to enjoy the snow in the way that you wanted to enjoy it, right? Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but Joanne C. Um, gets cold like looking at refrigerators at Lowe's, all right? Like she's that level of cold. And so uh, she confessed any picture that she got was like from the inside of the comfort of her home. Um, but us, we got out in it uh, for like three hours as long as it was out there and got to enjoy uh, doing some South Carolina sledding which means like finding stuff around your house and then pushing people down a hill of mud, right? And that's what we did for a while, but it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful time, and I hope you guys had the opportunity to enjoy it. But it's good to have you guys here this morning. Um, did this, got here early, hit a little bit of ice on some of the back roads from my house to here, but, but overall it was safe and, and glad to be able to be here with y'all. Uh, we will have our Sunday night starting back. We were supposed to start back last week, but we will start back tonight, and we're excited about that. Sunday night's full on for us. Uh, Sunday night's more like Sunday afternoons, starting at four o'clock. We'll have all of our adult small groups will be starting back. Some started this morning, but we'll be back, and we're going to be working through on Sunday mornings and in our groups, uh, 1 Corinthians together. So I'm excited about that, to be leading a group, going through that, preaching through this on Sunday morning, but then also on the rows that, that you're seated, you'll see there's a little reading schedule there, and so what I would like to challenge you to do is to take that reading schedule and as we work through this on Sunday morning and in our small groups during your quiet time, work through it with us. And and here's what you're going to see. Like on Sunday mornings, we're not going to necessarily read and go word by word through 1 Corinthians. Uh, We'll do a little bit more of that maybe in our small groups, but you have the opportunity to do that on your own as we walk through this. And I love it when we have the opportunities to do this together as a church, because what we see is is you guys, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, feeding yourselves in quiet time, discussing that in your small groups as you meet together, and then us having the opportunity corporately to come together in worship through studying God's Word. Uh, If you're not in a small group, also on your seats, there's a list of all of our small groups, and there's definitely an opportunity and time for you to get connected in one, and would love to see you have that. We've also got our kids' discipleship is, is going on tonight, and our student ministry is going on tonight, and so uh, we have something for, for every age and every opportunity for, for you to be a part of uh, Willow Ridge Church and what God is doing here. So let's look in, get started in First Corinthians. Now, last week was different for me, all right? Confession moment. All through seminary, uh, you take preaching classes, and they're like, hey, we want you to preach on this passage of Scripture, and it never worked out that that's the passage of Scripture that we were doing in church. And so on usually Sunday nights after we'd get done with church, I would tell Aaron and the kids, hey, I need y'all to go upstairs and be really quiet. And then I would position myself somewhere in the house, uh, like I'd get like all the trash, all the dirt, like get move all that out of the way, 
not that we're dirty people, that just sounded bad, right? But try to make it cleaner, and then I would position myself in our home and preach, and it was weird because it was me and the camera, and then last week it was weird a little bit too, but God was good, enjoyed uh, being able to do that, and just kind of give us a little background of 1 Corinthians, of, of what is this letter about that we're, that we're diving into. And, and one of the things that, that I talked about last week, and I want to kind of recap that a little bit as we're going into this, is if you if you've studied scripture some, what, what you'll know is that the church at Corinth, as we get into this, like it, it, it epitomizes, it embodies dysfunction. There's a lot of stuff that's going on that when we read through this, we're like, really? You're like, like, this is the decisions that y'all are making. And, and what I want us to, to do a little bit is, is as we read, we're going to see the problems that are in this church that we're studying. And I don't want them to, to see these as these problems that they suffer with because for us on the surface, they may be so foreign, but yet the theological stuff that's going on, the, 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 the application things that are going on, the practical issues that we're going to see, and as Paul corrects, are so many of them that can be applied to our context at Willow Ridge Church, but also to our lives as individual believers. So that as we journey through this, it's not the, the, the standing on the outside looking at the shock of what those people are doing in their problematic church, but seeing what Paul is addressing, why Paul is addressing that, how Paul is correcting them, and then looking at that for ourselves. And, and we're going to look at this morning with, with unity amongst the body and say, like, right, God, what are you showing me in my life? Lord, what are you showing us as, as a body of believers in, in, in Willow Ridge Church in Lexington, South Carolina, where we have the privilege and the, the opportunity to read this letter this morning, right? So it's not just them, it, it, it's us, and what do we want to draw from this? And so just a minute, we're going to start reading in, in verse 10, but, but Paul begins this letter, very, very important, and we're not going to read it this morning, but, but he, 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 he begins it with a greeting, like he often does, and begins it with a thanksgiving. I think that's important. I think that's important, and here's kind of what I want to just segue on a, a little bit. They're a problematic church that Paul has to deal with, that Paul's got to work with. There we go. But what is beautiful in this that we're going to see, and I want it to be the way that we look at, the way that we address, the way that we work through different things in our life, is when we have things that cause us problems, when we have things that cause us issues that we've got to work through, how, what is the mindset that we're taking to them? Are we taking them to with thanksgiving as Paul does, as he recognizes that it's a group of believers that have wandered, a group of believers that are confused, or do we look at these as the simple inconveniences of our life? But Paul looks at this as an opportunity for the church to grow and mature in their faith, and as a result of that, Paul begins with thanking the Lord for them. So it's going to be the groundwork that we're going to see with this. So let's start reading verse 10. Paul writes, and he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is some quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you, uh, each, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. 
Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. And so Paul jumps in very quickly, and he says, look, I'm grateful for you, and now I want to appeal to you. I want to appeal to you for for who you are to address these things out of the love that I have for you. And what Paul does is he calls them to unity. Look back at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And and so Paul says, I want to encourage you. I want you to be united. I want to appeal to you. So I'm not bringing this to you in words of anger, but as the loving, uh, as someone who loves you, as, as a leader who cares for you, as someone that a lot of you looked to me as as a father in your faith. I want to appeal to you in this. Like, can you hear the heart of of Paul, what he's dealing with? It's a parent who's sitting there with their children, imploring them out of the love that is in their heart, not in the rebuke that comes from their mouth, but imploring them, begging them, understanding like, this is what it means for God, for you to walk in his will and to exude all that Christ has for you. And he says in, in, in verse 10, he, he defines this, this unity for us in, in two ways. The, the first is at the end of verse 10, he says, but that you may be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. So what's he talking about? Paul here is talking about an, an inward harmony. He said, I, I want to be how you feel toward one another and how you feel toward the gospel to be one of unity. That when you look at and when you see one another, that you do not see the divisions. When you look at and when you see one another, what you see is Christ. When you hear about the gospel, when we're called to the gospel, that we're in the same mind, there's the same feeling, there's the same desire within this. That there's agreement, that there's unity. But also, at the, kind of in the middle, he says that all of you agree. And this word that you agree is, is the word, it's a court term. That would mean that all of you would have the same testimony. And not testimony as in my testimony of coming to faith and your testimony of coming to faith align in that they happen in the exact same format. But it's that the testimony of Jesus Christ, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, of who he is, is unified in who we are. So our stories may be different, but we're proclaiming the same gospel. And what we're working toward is we're working toward alignment and unity within the church. Because the gospel works in this way. So let's let's talk a little bit about, about unity in the kind of a negative context. Let's talk about divisions versus disagreements, all right? Can we disagree in the church? Yes, we can disagree in the church. Now, that makes some of us, myself, feel uncomfortable, right? 
but we can disagree. There are wonderful, beautiful things that we can disagree on, but can we have divisions in the church? No. Here's the thing. We, will, we can disagree on the things that are secondary, but where there must be unity, where there cannot be division, is on things that are primary. And that's how the church needs to live and how the church needs to, to be. And we can look at that and see that in, in so many different areas of our life. From your job that you go to, you need to be unified in where you're going and what you're doing. Does that mean that there can be disagreements? Yes, there can. And disagreements can honestly bring out what's better in the situation. I thought about the example in, in my life where I learned so much from what God is gracious to give me is in, is in our marriage. Mine and Aaron's marriage. Some of you may find this hard to believe, but, but we disagree from time to time, right? I know, right? And I'm wrong, right? We disagree. But what is beautiful in marriage is we disagree on what's secondary. What color to paint a room, where to go out to eat, what to do on vacation. These are disagreements that if you've lived in a marriage, you know these are things that we can disagree on, but we're unified on what is primary. That in our marriage that we seek and desire to be obedient to God in all things. That in our marriage we fight for and cling to faithfulness amongst the two of us. That in our marriage that we want to agree that we raise our kids to love the Lord and to seek after him. And so when we take these understandings of who we are as, as a couple and that this is what we work toward, do Aaron and I disagree in our marriage? Yes. Do these disagreements bring disunity? No, because they're secondary. And so many times on both sides of this, churches divide over secondary. Church divides over things that are based off of opinions. And Paul's like, we can disagree on that, but we can work toward unity because we're unified under the gospel. In the church, we need to fight to make sure that we don't have these divisions, but we must not turn secondary disagreements into primary divisions. And Paul's going to kind of address some of the things in the church that causes this. So, so what causes disunity? What causes divisions? Well, let's look at what's happening here in Corinth. Look at verse 11. Paul says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's some quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So Paul points out here that there's four divisions that are, that are going on in the church, and, and we think we can understand a little bit through context of Scripture what's going on, how the church is divided. So the church is divided into four different factions. Well, see, this church isn't just a church of, of Jewish converts. It's not just a church of Gentile converts, even though it's mainly a church of Gentile converts, right? They, they outnumber the Jewish converts. And so Paul says, some of you follow Paul. Some of you are saying that, that they follow him. And so these are more than likely the Gentile converts. He says, some of you follow Apollos. Now, Apollos, you can kind of read about him in, in Acts 18, but basically he was known as a very eloquent preacher from Alexandria. Now, you're going to see some of this context later at, at the end of, of this passage of what Paul writes. So some of you are like, man, we're Gentile converts, and, and, and we, we, we follow Paul. He's the one because he's the missionary to us. And some are like, no, 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 have you heard this Apollos guy speak? Like When he shows up to our church, when we have the opportunity to go out and listen to him, like how eloquent he is, 
like whatever he says, we follow him. And then some are like, well, but we follow Cephas. Now, Cephas is, is Peter, and Peter was largely seen as, as a missionary to the Jewish people. And so they're like, no, no, we're, we're Jewish, and so we follow him. And then there's a fourth group, and the fourth group's like, no, well, y'all can follow them, but we're just going to follow Jesus. Now, they're not right either, and let me explain. All right? What's going on with, with this group is they're standing back with almost like a sense of religious pride. Look how good we are. You can have all your quarrels all you want to. We're going to rise above this. We've been enlightened to the things that you aren't enlightened to. And so we're just the ones who follow Jesus and you're incapable of being where we are. And we're going to see this level of division all throughout 1 Corinthians come up over and over again. And so what causes this? What causes this sense of division that we begin to see within here? And I think there's, there's three different things that we can look at in, in churches that, that bring this type of division. Number one is ego. Number one is ego. And, and let me say this before we get into these three. If there's division in your church... Division in your marriage, division in your job, division in your family. I would be willing to bet that one of these three things is what's kind of raising its head up there too. That when we see what brings so much pain and so much suffering, when we see what destroys the unity that God has for us, we'll find these exact same things. I mean, if my marriage and my family are supposed to be a reflection of the church, then these things would be consistently there too if there's division. If you're a Christian in your workplace and you're supposed to be the one that embodies Christ and shows Christ, but yet you and other believers find a, a sense of, of disunity which is in there, more than likely this would be the case as well. And the first one that we see is ego. And so what's happening in here, and honestly, we don't know what's kind of coming forward in a lot of these different aspects of what's leading these people to choose these factions, but what we see happening here and what we see can happen in the church when egos begin to rise up are pastors and leaders who demand loyalty even over loyalty to Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about the frailty of pastors in just a little bit. We're going to talk about the weakness of, of pastors here in just a moment, and, and, and I feel like I, I know them really well. But pastors and leaders who demand loyalty over loyalty to Christ. Yes, loyalty is a beautiful thing. Loyal is, loyalty is something that needs to be embraced within the context of the church. But in the moment where it's choosing a man over choosing Jesus, he's lost his way and so has the church who follows him. Or secondly, people who try to put pastors and leaders on a platform that they don't deserve. And honestly, I've seen this so many times that they never even asked for. I mean, I, if I can have a little bit of freedom here on this passage of scripture, Paul goes five years earlier before he writes this and helps plant this church. And what Paul would do is he would plant a church, he would raise up leaders, he would leave that church to go plant more churches, they would help fund what he was doing, and then he would report back, he would hear back from them, he would send letters, right, and, and, and to continue to encourage, to, to be able to do. And so Paul gets this report from, from Chloe's people that says, hey, there's factions in the church. 
Paul's like, really? Like, yeah, and some of them are like, no, 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 we only follow Paul. We only follow Paul. And I can imagine the heartbreak of what we see from Scripture consistently with the heart of Paul for the gospel. And, and, and look at how Paul, when we're going to talk about this in, in a little bit, look how he tries to address this issue in, in Scripture. He says, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? The humility of what's there. In church, we're going to follow leaders. And we're going to follow pastors. And Paul's not perfect. And Paul's not Jesus. And every pastor that I know, including the one standing here, is filled with struggles, with doubt, with sin, with battles that they face. But if that pastor ever doesn't embrace the humility of what Paul says here, he's no longer worthy to be the pastor that we follow. Was it Paul that crucified you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? Obviously, you know that's not true. It's ego that we follow. The second thing that we begin to see that brings disunity is anti-authority. Right? While Christ is the leader of the church, Christ leads the church, and Christ is the leader of this church. Right? God does give us leaders to follow. He gives us pastors, elders, ministers, and he calls us as a congregation and as he calls us as a body to follow them and to submit to them as they seek to lead us in the way of Christ. The problem is, for so many of us, we have a sense of rebellion that we still want to cling to. We still have the sense of, oh, you think you're going to tell me what to do. And it's the battle of the pride of the heart. That in spite of what I see, in spite of what God is doing, that I feel like that I know what's best for me and I feel like I know what's best for you. Was the leadership trying to lead in the, in, to keep our eyes focused on Jesus? Is our leadership trying to keep us focused in on the proclamation of the gospel and seeing lost people come to know the Lord? Are we there to glorify him in all that we do and say? If the answer is yes, then is the leaders headed in the wrong direction? Or are you taking a secondary issue and making it primary? And we all, all of us, have to follow leaders. A danger for leaders is this. Ask the leader who's leading them. Ask the leader who they submit to. And it should be in the area that we see and what we find in the value of Scripture in understanding uh, authority. It should be Christ and others that are around them. And then also what we're going to find as we read through this is agendas. Is agendas. Now Paul doesn't speak directly to agendas here, but we're going to see it throughout 1 Corinthians and you see it all out throughout Scripture. Is I'm going to do what I'm going to do apart from the unity of the body. And it doesn't matter where the church is going. It doesn't matter what the church is being a part of. It's just the choosing in what I want to do. And all of this, all of this comes from a heart and a mindset of taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them on someone else. 
people talk about loyalty to a person and not a loyalty to Jesus, we begin to see eyes shift. And so what Paul wants to do is he wants to establish unity, to see that unity is what's going to be a part of the body, of what they're working toward, of what they see. And so much of what Paul's going to call them into unity is what they already have. And so he gives them three different reminders. The first one that he's going to see is the equipping of the church. Look back in verse 4. We'll read verse 4 through 9. And this is in Paul's thanksgiving. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And then pay attention to verse seven, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's the beauty of what Paul's telling them and the beauty of what we can cling to today at Willow Ridge Church. That the church at Corinth, and the church at Willow Ridge, right now, for us, right now, in this moment, and right then for them, we have all that we need to be who God has called us to be and to do what God's called us to do. There's no excuses for us to not pursue the gospel and the will of God in our lives and in our congregation. Paul says that, that you are not lacking in any gift any gift. And the truth is said for that for us today, that we are not lacking in any gift that we have. So what do we have? What do we have that the church at Corinth had? Number one, we got the Holy Spirit. Paul established for all of these because of the grace of God was given to you in Christ Jesus. And then what happens when we are saved? That the Holy Spirit of God indwells within us. The same Holy Spirit of God indwelled Paul, indwells you, indwells me, indwells the church at Corinth. So you got the Spirit of God. You got part of the Trinity in you. That's everything that you need. That's everything that is required. That within you, because the goodness of God is his Holy Spirit, but also, and I think this is one of the most beautiful things of what God blesses the church with, all right? You got each other. You got each other. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Every single one of you sitting in here today is a gift of God to each and every one of us. And the beauty of this, of what God gives us and the people that God brings us to be a part of the body here is the diversity that he gives, right? He, he brings us the diversity of gifts, right? There's a few of us that can come on stage and do what they do. There's a few of us that can come on stage and do what I do. 
There's a few of us that can go into the kitchen and do what they do. There's a few of us who can go and stand out the doors and do what they do. There's a few of us that can gather in these rooms and do what they do. And what God's doing is he's given us all this wonderful sense of giftedness among us so that we can serve amongst the body because we have all that we need. The beauty of what God gives us is he gives us different perspectives of life, of what we've experienced, of what we've been through. The diversity of that in which that brings, of where we've come from, who we've learned under, how long we've been saved. It's a beautiful diversity of what God gives us. God gives us a beautiful diversity of passions of what he brings. And so some people are passionate about school ministry. Some people are passionate about kids ministry. Some people are passionate about worship ministry. Some people are passionate about international ministries. And God gives us all of these different passions so that Men and women can find who they are. And it's a beautiful thing. And all of these are used in a way to build up the body and to share the gospel. But here's what gets dangerous. is That when the gifts become not seen as gifts of diversity that are used together to unify, but gifts of difference that are used to divide. That when the gifts of perspective are not there as differences to learn from, but are there as areas of division, we have concerns. Then the areas of passions, of ministries, of what we have, that they must be seen as a diversity of differences that can join us together to strengthen and to equip more ministries so that more people could come to know Christ and not as areas of disunity that could be divided. The second thing that Paul shows us, and we focused on this or reminds us on, is to focus on Jesus. This is, why was Paul crucified for you? Or was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? A couple couple questions I, I wanna ask. Why are we here this morning? Why are we here? We're here for Jesus or anything else. If anything else or anyone else filled that answer, we missed it. We missed it. And who are we following? Who are we following? God's blessed us with the wonderful privilege of being able to, to be at this church. I believe we'll be here for, for nine years this summer. I didn't have gray hair in my beard when I got here. I had a lot more hair on the top of my head when I got here. I don't blame y'all for that. I blame genetics. I just want to be honest with you, right? I come from a long line of balding gray men, right? Been here nine years. The average stay of a senior pastor at a church in the United States right now is four years, right? I was reading a study on on the Barna group, some of you may be aware of them, and from 2020 until right now, shows that 38% of pastors, 38% are trying to figure out how to leave the ministry, all right? 
and go do something else. They don't care. They just don't know. And they're dying to get out. And that's the danger of when we put our eyes and focus solely on the people who stand up here. Four years, 38%. Most churches, when a pastor leaves, attendance declines dramatically. Church members fall to the side. And I just have to ask the question, who are their eyes on? And focus on Jesus. And the last thing is be gospel-focused. Right? Read verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So this Apollos guy, you can read about it in Acts 18. Here's what we can find out about this guy, what we know. Right? He's entertaining, he's engaging, he's got a crowd. A crowd that loves to hear him. A crowd that wants to follow him. And they begin to say, it doesn't matter about the faithfulness of what we have. It doesn't matter about the vision that's there. We want that guy because of what he can bring to us, what he can share with us and the talent that he has. And whether you stay here for one more Sunday or whether you stay here for another thousand Sundays, where God, whether God grants me the wonderful opportunity, which is what we pray for, to retire from here, or whether God calls me at a different time, I don't know. But when it comes to preaching of God's word, and let me just tell you, I've been so blessed to be under some pastors that have let me swing and miss a lot more than swing and hit a home run, okay? But I want you to ask these questions. When you're sitting there with your small group leader, when you're sitting there in your Bible study, I want you to ask these questions. Don't let the standard be, well, is he entertaining? Is he engaging? Is he relevant? Is he smart? Let the question that rings in your mind ask this, is he faithful to God's word? Is he faithful to God's word? I've got a friend of mine who pastors at another church in another state, in big old church, mega church. They do like seven services. It's crazy. He starts preaching on Saturday night, and he gets done on Monday, it feels like. Anyway, he was talking to me, and there was a church there in their area, and, and, and he was really curious about what they were doing. And so he, he went there to the church, and he knew some of the people that were on leadership that were at this church. And, and so he's like, I was just really curious, and so, so I went. And I'm not going to use any names, but just want to kind of share this with you guys. And I said, well, what did you learn? And he said, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we went and, and then we, we left and we went out to eat and we, we were just kind of processing through of ways we could learn and ways we could get better. And he said, here was the realization that we came to. He said, during that service, we laughed. During that service, we felt compelled to move, to take action. During that service, we got angry. During that service, we cried. Some pretty strong 
emotions to be experienced, for sadness to hit you, for laughter to to hit you, for tears to, to come from you, to feel compelled to action. And I said, well, man, that was fantastic. And he said, but the problem was is that he opened God's word, he read a few verses, and he never came back to it. And he wasn't faithful. And he wasn't faithful. As a preacher, verse 17 has hit me hard. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, listen to this, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We've got to be careful that the standard of teaching of God's word is not the standard of a politician trying to lure us with their words to buy into something. But to understand that the gospel, it's enough. And it's all that's needed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came here and died for you to pay the price for your sins. Price that you don't want to pay. And price that you can't pay. And was buried and was raised to life three days later. And lived and ascended to the Father. And for those who surrender and put their faith and hope and trust in Him are guaranteed the inheritance of eternal life. As we go into this season of our church, going to our small groups, small group leaders, be faithful. Just be faithful. As you open up your God's Word every morning, whether you're working through 1 Corinthians with us, don't open it saying, God, entertain me. Open it knowing that God will be faithful. His word is living and is powerful. And whether God blesses me with another 25 years, 25 days, let the standard be, is he faithful to Christ? Would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you this morning. Lord, thanking you for the beauty of your word and the truth that comes from it. Lord, I pray for us as a body that we would be unified completely and fully in you. Of who you are, Lord, what you've done.
Lord, may we keep our eyes focused on the primary. Christ, you. Lord, may we keep our eyes focused that we are surrounded by people who don't know you and who have never had the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we not be okay with that. Or could we be reminded that every Sunday we have the opportunity on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights to pour into the lives of kids and students who are journeying through a world that is demanding their allegiance in many different ways. Lord, and they will make a choice of choosing what to follow. May we be unified in that it is Christ. May we work toward that. Lord, may we be unified that all over this world are men and women and children who woke up this morning never hearing the name of Jesus and no opportunity to go hear about him. Lord, could we not be okay with that? Lord, all the other things that seek to divide, may we push them to the side because our eyes are focused on you. Lord, I pray for wisdom for myself, for our other pastors, for our elders, for our ministry leaders, for all of us who take the opportunity to teach your word, to facilitate a lesson. Lord, may we not feel like we need to be a politician trying to convince you of our way. Instead, could we be men and women who are faithful to the inerrancy of your word that stands the test of time and that rings true. Jesus, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. In your name we pray. Amen. We've got prayer encouragers on either side of our auditorium. Maybe this morning you want to talk to somebody. Maybe you came in here with a struggle, with a doubt, with a concern. They would love to pray with you, love to encourage you. Maybe this morning you walked in and you want to find out a little bit more about this guy named Jesus, what it means for him to be your Savior and Lord. That tug that you're feeling at your heart, here's what we're going to ask that you do, that you respond to that leading of the Lord. Great way to do that is to let either one of them know or I'll be down here down front. And we can talk with you. We can pray with you. We just want you to respond to the Lord's calling this morning. Would you guys all stand as we worship Him?
Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church weekly podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.